here we go so welcome everybody to a new episode of uh, the solar journey and uh, today we have uh, Tobias Schütt as our guest he's the um, CEO of the German solar company called the DZ4 and the DZ4 that's a uh, distributed utility company which sells solar PV energy to residential homeowners in a behind a the meter concept so what that all is we'll find out later but first of all welcome to Bias. thank you Thorsten, for the invitation to talk on your, on your blog i'm really excited and yeah yeah thanks for joining so you've been uh, you you're the the founder the founder of dz4 and uh, and you've been doing this since uh, 2011 so I'll just go th briefly through your um, CV so people know who you are, what you've done in the past, what's your background. Um, so before that, before uh, 2011, you were the vice president for renewable energy at Deutsche Bank. Um, uh, and you did that for three years. <laughs> you smile. You can't remember. <laughs> I, I do. <laughs> I do. Yeah. I would like to give context to that because it's a little bit odd, but I can explain. I can. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll touch ground to that, <laughs> on that. And uh, you also spend a year in the, in the San Francisco in the Bay Area with a company called Epuron. Um, I'm also excited to to understand what you did there. And I think you started your your solar career with uh, Conergy, where you worked. Uh, for, which you worked for? That's a that was a solar cell module and i think also epc i can't remember quite uh, company solar energy company in in germany and uh before that that's i think where you started your professional career uh you were with the bp uh, the big oil company in hamburg based in hamburg and you held uh, various positions there and you did that for eight years and the reason why you could take on all these jobs because you've got a master's equivalent i guess in in german Masters in economics and engineering, so uh, so maybe start with that. After school, many people struggle to uh, find what they are supposed to do. What was the situation for you? Did you know exactly I've got to go to uh, uni and do economics and engineering, or was it a struggle? Well, I um, I, I guess when people say they always knew what they wanted to do when they were teenagers, I think that's a big lie. I, I guess I was <laughs> confused like everyone else. So yeah. I considered studying uh, philosophy, actually. Um, oh, wow. But yeah. eventually I ended up doing something totally different and getting into economics and engineering. So yeah. um, I was, I wouldn't say confused, but I was open. But eventually it was about, um, I had the offer to do a you know dual dual studium as we call it in Germany where you get paid where you, you connect yourself with the company that pays for your studies and pays you a salary and yeah. that was uh, attractive from a you know cash flow perspective so yeah. I did that with, with BP uh, the, the thesis and quite important to me was you said it correctly BP was um, a big oil company um, late 90s early 2000s. Um, but during my internship at BP, I came in touch with BP Solar, and that was just, you know, mind opening, eyes opening, um, that uh, BP Solar was like a startup within a big old corporate company doing dirty stuff, carbon business. And then there was this world of clean energy. Um, you know, we worked on ideas like 
putting solar systems on rooftops in rural areas, for example, in Africa. And that was so exciting and so interesting that I wrote my thesis around solar um, in within BP, and I had my first job in BP uh, at BP okay. Solar. All right. And basically how I got in touch with solar. All right. So your conversion to a solar maniac uh, started during your degree and uh, with your internship at, at BP. Yeah. That's yeah. correct. All right. So uh, when was that? So you, you've been in the solar business, let's say, for what, two, three, two and a half decades, is it? Well, yeah, it's two decades, actually. Two, yeah. two decades, yeah. Pretty good. Yeah. So I, the first internship was at around 2000, and then I wrote my thesis 2001-2002 for BP Solar, diffusion of new technologies into markets, so right. a market uh, thesis. Excellent. Um, yeah, so that's the background, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like Shell, um, BP was uh, in PV for many, many decades, but they never really made it to the top. They uh, bought production sites and then they gave them up. What was the reason? How do you look back onto it? And um, so what, what I would like to say is when, when I started working at BP Solar, that was very early still. And it was um, at the beginning of the German feed-in tariff scheme, the, the law that really provided yeah. the push for solar in Germany. And at that time, a 50 kilowatt system was huge. It was one of the biggest in Germany that we did at that time. Now, 50 kilowatts is tiny and no one really speaks about it. But at that time, we did a 50 kilowatt system in Lübeck, northern Germany. It was all over the press. Um, and it was just very, very exciting doing new stuff. Um, and um, so remind me of your question. Sorry. <laughs> so I was... I was <laughs> um, yeah, the question is, I mean, Shell and BP and, and other, uh, they've been in the, in the renewal uh, yeah. scene for, for decades. They, they own one of the first module makers also in, in, the, in the US, a few companies, but they never really took it to the, to the level where solar is now, right? So they gave up, they failed kind of, uh, I mean, yeah. they had all the means and the know-how and the power to, to drive that change, but they never yeah. did. Yeah. I would, I would actually, I would totally agree. BP Solar, when I joined them, was the third largest module manufacturer in the world. So mm. they were really one of the top players. And Shell was up in the top as well. Um, at, with BP, the situation was that at that time, um, Lord Brown was the CEO, and he developed that um, Helio strategy that also focused on renewables. So um, BP got active in wind field project development and yeah. execution in solar. But eventually, that was the, the strategy was developed at a time where the oil price was very low. And when the oil prices came up again, it was simply allocation of budgets went back into the oil business, into drilling, because it's much more profitable. And eventually, BP sold off all its assets. So nowadays, BP doesn't have any solar exposure. And same with Shell. It's the same logic. With low oil prices, you think about you know, other strategies, what you can do. Um, and with oil prices going up, it just becomes, you know, investing into into the oil business. Mm -hmm. I see a change now. I don't know if it's for, you know, if it's sustainable. What we what has changed over the last 20 years is, for example, that we now really have carbon pricing. It's getting introduced in, in Europe, much more severe in Germany. And um, if you have seen the latest developments that Shell has actually invested heavily into Zonin, one of the world's leading uh, manufacturers of battery storage systems, 
And BP Solar is also considering um, intensely a turnaround in their strategy. So they've built a um, zero carbon business unit, um, which is focused on renewable energies essentially and e-mobility and all these kinds of things. So I guess the reason why they haven't done it, it was just too attractive to continue with the oil business. Yeah, yeah but still many are afraid that uh, with these investments, they, they buy like, like these, like Shell buying Sonnen and they are, I think they just bought a Berlin-based mobility company, Ubiquitous, Ubiquitous, whatever funny name, mm -hmm. um, that they just tried to do a, a greenwashing of their business because basically in terms of total assets, it's possibly still negligible, right? So, so what's your take? What do you guess? What's your take? Is it this time for real and they want to make it grow or is it just buy and kill? Well, I mean, I um, as you rightly said, I, I'm in the industry now for 20 years in solar PV. I've been I've doing I've done very different jobs along the value chain. Um, my experience is with um, large corporates; uh, they really still struggle understanding really solar PV and how it works. Hmm. I really hope that big corporates, um, even oil companies, um, get into this and really provide a big push into that because it's really about scale. The more we deploy of that product, the cheaper it gets. And um, so big pushes from big corporates will help. Is it sustainable what Shell does right now? I don't know. Um, and I think we can all play a role in this. Um, I, I, I see better indications that this works now with a, the carbon pricing that we see as a global trend and with the big push into e-mobility. Um, mm. So you don't need oil for uh, electric cars. Um, yeah. At least if you fully roll out electricity production with renewable energy, then you yeah. don't need oil anymore. And uh, like the um, Norway, um, like California, introducing legislation where the where the um, sale of um, combustion engines is prohibited at some point in the future, yeah. that could also drive this. That this is sustainable. Yeah. Also, UK and uh, I think Japan, many other countries already um, announced that they will stop selling, uh, forbid selling of uh, combustion engines in uh, 2030, 2035. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, big, big chances to come. Hey, I guess we could elaborate more on this uh, easily for another two hours, but we're still on your CV. <laughs> <laughs> So, so Conergy, what did you do at, at, at Conergy? That, that's, uh, yeah. Conergy, I joined them in 2005 or two, two, 2006. I'm not really even sure anymore, but it was the first integrated renewable energy company um, yeah. that we saw in Germany. Um, I personally did only solar PV for them. Um, I focused on utility scale solar projects um, mm. and um, I helped uh, doing stuff in Germany and in Europe, but mainly I was um, helping entering the US market. Um, yeah. So that's also the reason why I eventually lived in California for a year. Uh, before that two years, I was traveling back and forth. And what I what, what I mean by doing utility scale solar PV, it's I was looking at permitting processes. I was looking at acquiring land. Um, I was looking at securing financing for projects worth 20, 30, 50, 60, 70, 80 million euros or dollars. That was right. really my role, putting all that together. Mm -hmm. Excellent. And that's why then also started with Epuron. They are also based in the Bay Area. Epu Epuron is a subsidiary company of the Conergy Group. And ah, that right. was 
okay. subsidiary company that did the U, the large scale. Ah, right, right, right. Okay, understand. So at the, when I lived in in California, what we did is we, at that time, built the seventh largest U project in the U.S. Um, solar PV project. It was three point two megawatts. So considering today's yeah. standards, still small. We're now talking about hundreds of megawatts. Um, that's a big project, not yeah. three megawatts. So the size has increased over time, as you can tell. Yeah, I mean, from the the size of the plants, one can say how how long you've been in the business. You talked about a fifty kilowatt. Yeah. At the start of your career, then you said it was small. Then you said 30 megawatts. Uh, that was small because now we talk about uh, close to gigawatt uh, plants, right? Right. Um, yeah, fantastic, fantastic evolution. Yeah. Um, and then you joined Deutsche Bank. How can that be, right? I mean, I, I, I BP and Deutsche Bank, right? And I mean, man, how really, can that be, right? How, I consider I, myself a solar enthusiast, really. I'm really convinced this is the technology. How can yeah. that be? BP, so, BP <laughs> I explained to you, I was working at BP Solar. I, you know, I, I didn't want to stay in the oil business. And, and with Deutsche Bank, the situation was two things. When I lived in California, I learned a lot. I've, um, by the way, I went to high school in the United States as well. So I had some US exposure. All oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Um, so what I learned is back at that time, the, the entire European market was about feed-in tariffs. And when I started at UP Solar, we had to explain to people something really odd. We had to explain to people, you get a solar PV system on your rooftop, but no, 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 this is not for your own supply. You still take, you know, coal electricity from the grid, nuclear yeah, electricity. Excellent. It doesn't have anything to do with that. You you put it on your rooftop and you make a financial return. You know, it's an investment. It's like, you know, putting it on a, on a bank account, but it's better. So, but, you know, that was really odd. It was yeah. not about providing electricity to the house, to the shop or whatever. It was financial return. It was totally separated. Energy from the grid and the solar PV on your rooftop. It didn't have anything to do with each other. Yeah. So, and when I lived in California, that concept was again put together in a way that it should be and the company started new distributed utility companies you mm. get a solar PV system on your roof and it is designed to feed your household with electricity with energy yeah. and that's called solar as a service yeah. and that's basically the american approach of doing things you know eat all you want and still lose weight a lot of marketing they did it really well with Peace of mind. You don't have to worry, dear customer. We take care of everything. You just pay your monthly check and, and that's it. Yeah. And, and that concept was so super successful, um, both for a large project, but also for the retail segment. So for homeowners that hmm. I thought, you know what, this is really interesting. And this is the way this should be done. You know, it shouldn't be about electricity, solar PV, feeding it into the grid and getting a financial return and then still buying nuclear power. That's not the way it should be. That's mm. the way it should be. You get your solar PV system on your rooftop and you use it in your household. And I thought, if time comes in Germany, I should start that. At that time, uh, late 2000s, that was for economic reasons, simply not possible. Uh, you got, I don't know, 35 cents, kilo, 35 cents per kilowatt hour feed-in tariff. Yeah. You paid 25 cents for electricity from the grid, so you would never do that. Yeah. Um, nowadays, it's much different. You, you have a feed-in tariff of 10 cents and you pay 30 cents for electricity from the grid. Now it makes commercial sense to use the electricity from, from the rooftop. Yeah. But going back to, 
So learning in the US, I saw a business model that was super successful, was very smart, which was very easy to understand for customers. I liked it. Mm. My company basically went bankrupt. So I sat there in a very expensive area of the United States with a company that couldn't pay um, you know, salaries much longer. So I was thinking, what could I do? And then um, I got an offer from Deutsche Bank in Germany. And a Deutsche Bank investment banking is quite the opposite of what I thought would be a great job. But I learned to got to know the people, got to know the team. And I'm, um, we were a team that was very, very, that was really renewable enthusiasts. And there were yeah. also things changing within Deutsche Bank. So what I did there was I was doing basically the same I did in California and what I've done all my life. I was doing utility or large scale solar PV projects. And the idea was, or the concept was that Deutsche Bank, you know, would finance the first phases and then sell it off and make others, you know, participate in that. So we structured funds for Torstens and Tobias's and Katrin's to, you know, participate in that it was fund structuring. It was really what I've done, a, a traditional developer business model that we did in Deutsche Bank. Yeah. And that's the reason I joined. It was a lot of fun. I learned a lot about financial structuring and it was doing a good thing. I was, you know, I, I say that also there, I did, you know, uh, different projects. By that time we were talking more at 20, 30, 40 megawatts, uh, those projects. Now it was, you know, going up the ladder again. Mm. Um, and that's really what I did at Deutsche Bank. But eventually I decided that this was not my future for different reasons. Yeah. Um, also the market developing further. And I wanted to start DZ4. I wanted to build the, you know, greenfield development, distributed solar PV as the concept to promote in Germany. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. And um, super. Um, and that's when you left Deutsche Bank on your own and then... Uh, started DSET 4. Yeah. Correct. So what is what is DSET 4 doing and what's what does it mean behind the meter concept and uh, how do you mm -hmm. how do you do it? What do you offer? So what we how we would like to consider ourselves and the customers they, how they see it is solar as a service or solar and battery as a service. And what does this mean? Usually um, people like you and me, house owners, um, they, let's say, want green electricity because they want to do something for the Energiewende. Yeah. Um, but so they understand that electricity comes from the um, comes from the box, you know, it comes from the grid. Um, but um, uh, when considering solar PV, it gets complicated. You don't buy a solar PV system um, like a car every two, three, five, six years, you buy it probably once in a lifetime or not mm. twice. And um, it's really a little bit complicated understanding what is the best technology, how big should the system be, all that kind of stuff. And we thought we integrate all that complexity in, in our company and make it easy for the customers to decide for a solar PV system by saying, mm. look, if you want solar PV and a battery, um, we take care of everything. The only thing that you do is you sign up for a 25-year agreement um, for the solar PV system and storage system. The rate stays the same for the next 25 years. It's not going up. It's not going down. It's fixed. So basically, you lock in a lot of your electricity costs at the current rate. And we, as BV4, take care of all the technical stuff. 
so the best modules if they um if the system breaks for whatever reason we will repair it dear customer you don't have to worry about anything that is about solar as a service with peace of mind the customer make it easy for the customer to decide for a solar pv system okay. that's the idea and the reason we call it behind the meter is because um the solar PV um, supply to the household happens behind the meter so that you don't have to take the electricity that the household needs from the grid, but from the rooftop. Okay, so so you, uh, first of all, so the, the your customers, they don't have any capex. They don't have to invest into the system. Not at all, zero. Not at all. All right, and, uh, and when you say the, the you lock in the fee, that's, the price for the kilowatt hours they consume that's fixed for for the next 25 years yeah yeah it works a little bit differently it's like a it's like a flat rate if you want um, a flat rate get, on, no matter what you how much how much you consume um how, it, it doesn't matter how much solar energy you you consume the way this works is, okay um the way this works is that this that the homeowners base basically lease or rent a solar pv system from us okay so the All the energy that gets produced, um, the 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 homeowner, the customer has the right to it, and he can do whatever he wants with it. Of course, you would try to uh, you know use it in the house, you know, do cooking, do washing, do whatever, do lighting. Excess energy is fed into the grid, and the customer also gets um, the feed-in tariff for that. Um, but so what is fixed is the lease rate. And basically, okay. with that, it's a flat rate for all the solar energy that is re uh, produced from the solar PV system. All right. So by by adjusting his uh, time of consumption, he can optimize his his bill, right? Right. And but but the consumer still has a contract with the local utility to get electricity if he uses more than uh, is provided by the PV panel and the battery uh, at night. Yeah. Unfortunately, here in Germany, um, you you really need that. Um, for think of we're in winter right now. We, we just talked to chatted a little bit about the snow situation. Yeah. Um, so it, the the battery systems that we have, they they also don't don't work and are not applicable for the need specifically in winter of electricity is too high. Uh, solar PV system cannot produce that, and that's why all customers are still connected to the grid. Yeah. And let me just give you um, you know rough numbers. If a customer signs up with DZ4, with that system, about a third of the annual electricity demand that the house has is covered by the solar PV system. Yeah. If you add a storage system, that number goes up to 66%, two thirds roughly. So one okay. third is solar PV, one third is battery, and the the last third is always with the grid. Yeah. Does and that, that Yeah, and the battery part, that's, also solar energy that's it, it you don't charge uh, the the battery via the the grid it's it's purely solar energy from the battery right or, or do you have some because there's also schemes to buy cheap energy at, at peak hours or whatever yeah no no we, we we want our customers what they want really green energy green energy so the yeah. only, it's only the exception that if a battery is really low and for technical reasons need elect needs electricity then it can tap on the grid but yeah. that is just basically emergency situation so yeah and um there's a few other storage companies like zonen or zenek they they provide some cloud mm -hmm. uh functionalities Is that something also you 
is is it working for you or would that fit into your business concept or it wouldn't work or what's your what's your take on on that because you well, could also share you know whatever with equipment with um digital um uh communication between your between your customers is that something you're looking in or is that absolutely that is I guess something something interesting um, and the customers want it. That's what we see from the market. Uh, yeah. By the way, both are suppliers of ours. So, All right. Um, okay. Suppliers batteries to us, Zenix supplies batteries. And, um, you know, some of our customers also sign up for the cloud services that those companies provide. So we offer that to our customer base. We don't have an own solution. Um, generally, it is one of our concepts to work with network partners. We believe in strong relationships. The world is too complex for one individual company doing everything. That's why we're a network company. We have local installers, we have different suppliers, different partnerships. So I guess it's interesting. Um, the cloud services, the customers want it. Um, at the end of the day, it doesn't change. It's a virtual cloud essentially, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It doesn't change the supply situation. The electricity that you get in your yeah. household same is electrons, still the yeah. same. Yeah. And that's why we strongly believe, and that's what the customers also see in the solar PV plus storage. That's the real thing. The cloud is just basically a trade-off thing. It's a marketing thing. It's a good marketing thing. I'm not trying to negate that, but yeah. um, in terms of further promoting solar PV energy, it doesn't do anything. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And um, so you have an engineering team that designs the system, I would assume. Uh, Chooses yes, the, the module maker or how, how do you go about the, the product design, the technical so, product design? Yeah. So what we do is, we, yeah, you're absolutely right. We have engineers. We have a technical department that is quite huge, actually. Yeah. Um, uh, this is more about coordination, I should say, and supplier yeah. selection. So we work with around 40 installers nationwide. Yeah. Um, we define with them a standard framework agreement. And for us, it's also important that we have local people doing installations on local houses, right? Yeah. You know, maybe it's sometimes it would feel odd if some guy from Hamburg talking with the Hamburg slang showing up in southern Bavaria with a totally yeah. different slang. So no, that's not what we do. We believe in, you know, installers. They've done that for many more years than DZ4 is in business. So we cooperate with these installers. And what we basically say is the customer interface. So we look at you, Torsten, we look at your consumption profile, about your preferences, and we come up with a seven kilowatt peak system and a five kilowatt hour storage system. And then we say to the installer that is in your region, Torsten, um, once this system, you design it, please. Uh, we will have a final review and check and approve it. Um, and then the local installer sources the equipment and does the installation based on our quality concept and quality scheme. So we select, select the suppliers, um, we define the quality, but it's a local business to support the local business. Okay, so there are, and I guess you need that kind of still high level of customization because all the rules are very different or do you have like pretty much a modular system that, you know, it's like five options usually that you choose from. So how many customization do you require for, for those homeowners? Um, At this point, all systems are really tailor-made um, okay. for the reasons that you, you've mentioned. I think we see a tendency, what the standard and the average is. The yeah. average is about the numbers that I told you, seven kilowatt peak solar PV and five kilowatt hours storage system. But, um, you know, with 
as you said, roofs are just so different. And then you have shading issues with chimneys, and you have shading issues with um, trees and all that kind of stuff. So that this is really a lot about customization. So no, we don't have standard packages. We mm -hmm. look at um, and customers define really what the system should look like. And they want the customer from our perspective, they want two things. They want to have it simple. And in some cases, they don't want to understand the technical details. They just want that the system works. We will take care of that. And yeah. sometimes some of our customers want that the system looks good and they're willing to pay a premium for that because I myself am customer of our company. I have, um, you know, black uh, tiles. Yeah. I wanted a black black system um, yeah. and I'm paying, I don't know, seven euros more per month because it looks better and my wife is happier. Yeah. <laughs> and then seven dollars is cheap. Uh, seven euros is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's cool, cool. Hygiene. It's a pack of cigarettes that I don't smoke. So. <laughs> and um, so what about the quality of the components? Um, do you, what, what's your experience? You've been in the business now for, let's say, 20 years. Uh, is solar reliable, right? I mean, there, there's still, you know, friends of it keep, keep asking me, hey, I've got, you know, I want to put solar on my roof. Um, what components should I choose? Yep. Um, what's your take? How many uh, issues do you have with the module, with the inverter, with the battery, yeah. the, the mechanical the quality of the mechanical workshop, yep. uh, hand, uh, craftsmanship? Dustin, I think you're raising a very typical question. So as soon as one considers solar PV system, it comes to, there are so many suppliers, so many modules. Should I take Prina? Chinese, never heard of them. Or should I take um, a German manufacturer because it's produced in Germany or so? That is what we're solving. We're saying trust in DZ4. We're by now established. We're in business for 10 years. We have 5,000 customers. We have a lot of experience with doing that stuff. And we select the best product for you. Yeah. So what do I believe in? Um, I mean, I've been in the business, like you said, for 20 years. So solar PV modules, there have been issues at the start, um, you know, with junk boxes and all that kind of stuff. But by now, really, no, I, this is such a commodity by now. What we focus on is established players, high quality. And you will also see that in our customer ratings. We really focus on quality. Why is that? Because we don't want to have the mess of you know taking back modules that don't work, inverters that don't work, because that is our our responsibility as DZ4 that the system works all the time. And that's yeah. why we focus on quality components and have technical people looking at the suppliers, um, have technical auditors looking at that. So I think people can trust that we have good quality based on the experience of the people that work at DZ4. Yeah. So now you're based in uh, your, your market is you focus only on, on Germany. Um, 5,000 customers. How, how many employees do you have? That's roughly. Yeah. However, I should mention that we have um, 40 freelancers in sales and we have 40 installers working for that yeah. for us. So you With have a virtual group of 150 or so. Yeah. Something like that, yeah. Right. So do you want to expand to international markets with your, let's say, business established, uh, with the established business concept and, uh, let's say, know-how that you can roll out? Or do you think okay. it's too much a local business, national business due to regulations or culture? 
I think both is true, really. Um, for one thing, we have 16, 16, one, six million um, houses in Germany. So single houses or double houses. Yeah. And we only have 2 million solar PV systems installed on these houses. So there is still 14 million rooftops left. Yeah. That is a huge market. So you're happy so, with Germany for the time being? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I guess so. I mean, the potential is still high. Um, at the mm. same time, this concept, solar as a service and putting solar PV on the rooftop, is clearly a global trend. Um, and uh, we have, you know, similar companies in the United States. We see um, UK had that concept. Um, in Benelux, there's companies with a similar business model. And yes, it is an option to go into other European markets. And some of our German competitors consider that strongly. Um, we would, you know, we're open to that, but right now we're focusing on 14 million houses in Germany. Yeah, yeah. You could, you know, turn it into a franchise, maybe, you know, with all the know-how you've established. I mean, there's what 200 yeah. countries worldwide. Uh, so there's. You should become the CEO of this company because that is really <laughs> our path to to, uh, to market entries. We we have basically a white label option. Yeah. So. Um, What DZ4 does can be done under a different brand. So our IT yeah. and all the systems. Yeah. Right? And that's basically the entry point or the path into other markets would be easily done um, with the white label approach where you connect yeah. with a local entity that has some exposure, more experience, maybe a network. And then we can, you know, apply our know-how. And that's the way that we would likely enter into another market with a white label or franchise approach. Yeah, yeah. Because right now, I think the industry... I mean, there's, there's like the, the standard markets, like the classic markets, like Germany, Japan, uh, US, right? But I mean, there's the whole of South South America, Northern Africa, Southern Africa, right? And uh, there's so many regions where I think the know-how, the understanding is, uh, you know, you've got two, 20 years experience and you know the do's and don'ts in, in solar. I think that could be attractive, right? But of course, you need to study the, the local regulations first, right? What's your take? Do you, is it is it easy, for example, to say, I move that business concept to what country could I come up with? Let's say Pakistan, right? Do you think the, the regulations would be totally different or would you think that technically and in terms of legally, it, you could roll it out identically or is it? Um, so how much I, I trouble like do you have in Germany with, the, with your business? That's really a difficult question. So I guess what I what I can answer with two different ideas. And yeah. the one is in the United States, um, where I learned this business model, um, the relation, the contractual relationship with the customer um, is really an electricity supply contract over 25, right. 40 years. Yeah. Um, that is pretty smart. It had other elements, but don't want to get into the details. So it's really so you utility. Supply. Yeah. Yeah. In Germany or in Europe, you cannot do electricity supply contracts with um, private persons, with individuals that are longer than two years. That's why we've done the leasing arrangements because only with the leasing arrangements, you can do 25 year arrangements. Right. And we need a 25 year arrangement because we do the investment into the solar PV system. If you yeah, only have two years yeah. of security on the contract, yeah. you know, it wouldn't work from the numbers. Yeah. So what I'm trying to say here is a lot of it is driven by legislation. Um, 
And the other element is um, how you roll it out in a country or if has to do with the you know commercial attractiveness of the offer. So what you need to consider is solar, um, solar as a resource, does the sun shine? I mean, in Pakistan, obviously the sun does shine. But then it also has to do with what is the cost of electricity for retail customers? Yeah. And um, for example, you might you might think that south of France is probably very, very attractive, right? You got a lot of sunshine, yeah. uh, but we would not consider that business model because the electricity for retail customers in France is just so super low because All right. of their high exposure to nuclear. Mm. Um, so that can only be solved through subsidies, but then you are in a market that could be cut off immediately if the state budget is not there. So you yeah. don't want that. Yeah. And that's, for example, why Denmark, as odd as it may sound, is quite an interesting market. It's small, that's not so good. Electricity costs are high, solar PV is okay, but here you have a market that is attractive, which isn't obvious if you don't understand that you know all aspects need to work and also creditworthiness of the customers, what the mm. income situation. Um, so that's a little I, bit more complex. All right, so it's, and it's closer to Hamburg. It's closer to Hamburg, yeah. <laughs> For you guys. <laughs> and I like hot dogs, but you know, that's uh, yeah, super common. <laughs> Wow, super interesting. Um, um, so you started a company, you were employee for a long time for various companies, and then you suddenly decided, well, let me be a founder and a entrepreneur. Was it a conscious choice or you just said, well, I've got to do it because nobody else does it or, and, or I want to be an entrepreneur myself. What was the thinking behind that other than the solar virus that you, that that caught you 20 years ago? So I guess the solar virus was caught and was a big reason for that. Um, also yeah. the idea that I had in my mind that solar as a service was so successful in the US and we didn't have that concept in Germany. I thought about the market structure. If you want to do that in Germany, it will not come from the corporate, but you need to be the first mover, you know, small, tiny ship that is acting fast and has a new new idea. Yeah. Um, That was my consider real consideration started in 2010. That's the first time I had really my termination of my contract with Deutsche Bank on the table, but I decided then to stay there for another year. Um, and the reason I say that specifically is in 2010, there was no, I don't know, in English, who did I move entrepreneurship and yeah. I found that was not, you know, something very common at that time. You know, yeah. we didn't have it. It was not about you have startups and barcamps and, you know, all the new tools that we now take for granted in 2010 and 2011, that was not the case. So it was really something where I had to do a lot of explanation to my wife, to my family, to my friends, how I could throw away a career in corporates for a, you know, stupid idea that everyone else that you talk to in the utility industry says, Tobias, uh, Mr. Schütt, Uh, we highly believe that you're a competent person, but the idea is not going to work in Germany. Um, so it was the time when the CEO of RWE said solar PV in Germany is like growing um, pineapples in Alaska. So that was the mindset at that time. Yeah. And so that was really a big move, but I was convinced that this was coming. The time was right. And also, um, I think I've been very successful in what I've been doing at BP, at Carnegie and at Deutsche Bank. And all of these times, the business that I have done was basically put under a lot of pressure, resources were cut, cash was cut for internal reasons that didn't have to do with the business model or the commercials that I was doing. It was more for strategic and political reasons. And I, I, I thought, 
I don't like that. I mean, I'm convinced that what I'm doing is right and it's doing something good and it makes commercial sense. But my bosses, not my immediate bosses, but somewhere up, up on the ladder were saying, no, we don't, want to, we don't want to support that any longer. And that was for me an indication to say, you know, maybe you need to become an entrepreneur. Maybe you need to take your own decisions and take your own responsibility. And I was, you know, willing to do that. I have a background. My, my, my father was self-employed. Um, my wife's family also is entrepreneurs. So I wasn't so much scared, but I wanted simply wanted to add, at that time, it was quite unusual to do yeah. that. Specifically yeah. with a corporate career in the background. But yeah. I, I was ready. Yeah. So you were ready to jump. And um, super uh, interesting to, to understand the, the evolution. And uh, now looking back, what was the, the biggest learning, right? Or what would you tell your, I don't know if you have kids, what would you tell your daughter to what she should never ever do as a, she, <laughs> she should avoid to do next time well, when she does a, runs a company? What was the biggest mistake, your biggest learning? Um, it's still a journey and I'm still, you know, a lot of adrenaline and a lot of work to do. So it's sometimes really hard to sit back and, and review what has happened. Yeah. Um, I think you asked me that question um, you know, as a heads up. I think for everyone that considers that, there are two elements that you should look into. Yeah. First of all, don't underestimate the level of stress it puts on, on you and your family. Highs are higher, lows are lower. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I, I have a really good, solid background with my family and two kids. I'm very boring in my personal and private life. I need that because the ups and downs, being an entrepreneur, being on a journey with, with venture capital funding, doing fundraising, winning customers, adapting the business model, I totally underestimated what that means and what that does to you. It's You, you get your adrenaline kicks also, um, but um, it's, it's just much different from being in a corporate where I thought, you know, things are exciting and you got ups and downs, but it's, you cannot compare that to founding a company and having responsibility for more mm. than hundred people, as I just explained. Yeah. Um, I guess that's the one element. And the other element yeah. is cash flow is more important than your mother. <laughs> cash flow is more important than your mother. I mean, I, I hope my mom never hears that, but uh, I didn't invent that. I heard that also from someone else. And I think it's true. Um, with companies that are in a mode where, you, where you're not profitable, you just need to monitor your cash flow really, really well in order not to um, you know, have severe consequences. So cash flow management, super, super important. Review it yeah. every day, manage it. Wow, on the point, I think I would sign up to that. You know, I, I'm also a founder of a company and running it. Uh, and uh, yeah, the stress levels, uh, I would totally subscribe, right? The highs are higher and the lows are a lot lower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and cash, right? I mean, uh, how do you how do you develop your own skills on the side, right? Or do you you know it's how do you do you get where do you get extra input from to to become a better CEO to be, become a better leader? Um, did you work on that? What's your Absolutely. It's a, a personal journey, also personal trip. And I guess you can also agree to that. What I've done is in the role really changes from founder where you got one, two, three people and need to develop a business model. Now it's more a man manager role, right? You 60, 60 people in payroll, 100 people working for you, mm. more about including structures. And here, um, the way that I learn best is 
through experience, but I also listen to people. So I have a network around me of um, people that I trust and that help me in making decisions, preparing decisions and running the company. Um, I have advice, you know, former CEOs of uh, listed companies um, that I that I, I can chat with and that can help me with decisions. So, mm -hmm. and I do um, mentoring and trainings, uh, personal coaching, essentially, that's what I do. And I try to do it in a way that it's cost effective um, as we're not profitable, so. Yeah, okay, excellent. Do you know um, at, at WaveLabs, the company I'm I'm CEO of, we're using the Scaling Up book. Uh, it's uh, like based on the Rockefeller habits, mm -hmm. and uh, to us that that's a, a magic book, right? Because there's so much stuff in there. I don't know. Do you have any any literature where you say that this is really cool business stuff for for founders or entrepreneurs, CEOs, or is um, it? Doesn't have to be around if if you have this mentoring and friends and etc. This this. Yeah. yeah, I'm not good from reading books. I don't know. I I I, you, I with reading books, I I just you know enjoy sitting back and I don't have the time and, and the patience to do that. So I'm yeah. not a good at this point. I used to read a lot. I think a book that is kind of interesting in understanding still you know we're in a market with investors and what we're trying to establish is a modern company with flat hierarchies um, self-empowerment all these kinds of elements but there is still huge specifically corporate organizations that work with hierarchies yeah. and also investors that have you know more of a hierarchy approach so an interesting book and in understanding some of the mindset is uh, the 50 laws of power uh-huh so if okay. you really want to understand power games, like what Trump is doing and what uh, Putin is doing, um, it's about power. And uh, if you want to understand that world a little bit better, because you need it for your own company, 50 loss of power is a good one. All right. Excellent. Yeah. Cool. Interesting. Interesting. Cool journey. So um, you've got this massive uh, experience in, in, in solar. You... Uh, you defined solar also in in whatever you did um to you brought you contributed to to where solar is now uh so looking into the future what do you think what what's required to to get solar to the next level right that's a pretty broad question but you know when you look at dz4 or it's or even on a global level we, we're still not at 100 renewables right so what, what would it take to get there faster uh, than we do it now, right? Um, that, that is a complicated, well, it's an easy question, but the, the answer is probably complicated because it's yeah. very, very complex what we're doing. When I look at Germany, um, we're, we're still not there um, with the right, a lot, of it, a lot of it is about political and legal framework. So yeah. I think we're doing good things on the electricity side. Um, whatever um, has been missing in the past very much was the mobility side. So the way that over the last 20 years, our government has protected Mercedes-Benz, um, has protected Volkswagen, BMW, I understand that, why the protection happened, because a lot of jobs are associated with our car companies. But further supporting the combustion engine business is just not good. Mm. So I think a key element now is also about transport. Um, and getting transport electric with the support of renewable energy. And what really helps here is 
CO2 pricing, and that's the other element. So the way that we're doing this right now is that we ha don't have the full cost included in electricity and mobility. The, the damages from CO2, they are not priced in, but that is happening now with CO2 pricing. It's still too low. If we had the real cost that the CO2 does to the environment, to the people, then the commercial attractiveness of renewables would be just much better. And mm. we would automatically have a faster rollout of e-mobility, of electric cars, and of renewable energy. So I guess my angle would be get the CO2 price up significantly. That would solve a lot of things. Yeah. And uh, so from a national level, um, there's of, of course criticism on, on that point because then, uh, you know, electricity prices go up for Germany only, if you do that only in Germany for, for a country and no matter what country would do that. So the uh, global competitiveness would, uh, would decrease. What's your take on, on that, right? That's what makes it so complicated. Um, yeah. I, I totally agree. So Germany living from export, um, you know, also putting pressure on the car companies. Um, that is just, I guess, a measured approach that Angela Merkel takes is probably a reasonable one still. It, 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 I, it fills me with a lot of anger that we're not pushing for specifically solar PV much more because the cost is there. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's it's about international stuff. But eventually, maybe there's also one one um, one consequence to all of that, and that maybe is more philo philosophical than commercial. Germany is one of the wealthiest countries in the world, um, and if you take the average income that people have and the average that people need in order to have a good living, Germany is super blessed. I know that we also have in Germany people that struggle every day to make a living. But on, the, on an average level, Germany is doing fairly well. And maybe it's about reviewing, growing, making more, becoming more profitable and taking a step back. I know that is very, very tough. And it, it starts with your own decision making. How much are you willing to sacrifice for renewables and for a better world? Yeah. Um, that, that has a lot to do with it. And that is, I don't know, I'm not a good one at this either. I try to do my best, but I'm not... Um, I'm not flying anymore. Um, I'm trying to do, you know, restrict myself on, on certain levels to um, have a better footprint um, in terms of resources. But this is eventually the consequence. Um, yeah. We need to have more sacrifices. Yeah. Yeah. And explain that to someone who's not doing well and where the neighbors drive a Porsche and you want one as well. So that is, but that is the problem that we have. Yeah, and I guess that's a discussion we need to have with our neighbors, right? So, hey, listen, <laughs> what's going on? Huh? What are the issues? Right? Yeah, Tobias, thanks a lot. Um, that was interesting to uh, thanks a lot for taking us on your solar journey. And uh, yeah. yeah, I wish you all the best for DZ4 and uh, all the future ideas that you have and uh, good luck with your with your company. Thank you, Thorsten. Same, thank you for having me. Thank you for the great conversation. Um, we can continue uh, anytime uh, if, if you want. Excellent. All right. Bye-bye, Tobias. Bye-bye.